When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Sassuolo review episode, and I am joined by a guest to help me out with that. He is the president of the Tri-State Napoli Club, Gaetano Salazzo. Welcome back. Good evening, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, we've been trying to get this. I've tried to have me back for a while. It hasn't worked out. So Yeah, it's been uh, when you have both of us have two kids. And (laughs) that's enough to throw schedules out of. That's what I I say it all the time. This is why I never do anything live because it's just impossible with family. But it's definitely been far too long since you've uh, been on the show. And it's great to have you back on. So like I said, we are going to talk about Napoli's match against Sassuolo on Sunday, our first home match of the 2023-24 campaign. As I'm sure everyone's already aware by now, Napoli won 2-0 on goals from Victor Osiman and Giovanni Di Lorenzo. Let's start with just some general thoughts on the match. In my preview, my second key to the match was that I wanted to see Napoli control this match from start to finish, and we did do that. Against Frosinone, we were pretty shaky in the first half. I thought we started this match much stronger, and then we pretty much maintained control from start to finish. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's hard to really gauge how well or you know how not well we would have played with against Sassuolo. You know, I guess the first 15, 20 minutes you can take something out of, but after that, they really didn't do much of anything. And then after the red card, it was almost like a training session more than anything else. Did Maret have any saves? I don't think he actually had a, a recorded save. I don't, I don't believe. Maybe one on a long-distance shot, if I recall correctly. But yeah, I mean, not much opposition from Sassuolo at all. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, the XG for this match was 3.5 to 0.2, depending on which side <laughs> you use for, for Napoli. Um, but I agree, at least, I mean, there were some good signs in that first half hour, let's say, of the match. I thought we were pressing a lot more aggressively at the start of this match. I mean, we yes. saw right away Raspadori hits the post because we just went right at them. And I think a big part of why we look different in the first half in this match compared to the Frozenona match, aside from the fact that that was our first match under a new coach. So, I mean, everyone's still kind of figuring things out. But to me, the biggest difference was that Andre Frank Zombo and Gisa started this match. Huge. And, you know, everybody got on Cayusta's case last match, but we all know he was only starting because Gisa had just recovered from his injury. Cayusta is not a starter on this team. He's a backup option. And actually, even he looked pretty good coming off the bench in this one. Yeah. So positive signs there. And I think our, you know, our midfield and then, of course, OC men were sort of the keys to us controlling this match. Zelinski was fantastic once again. We're starting to see people say this online as well, but not signing Gabri Vega may have been a great decision at the end of the day, even though we really wanted to to sign him and he was kind of stolen yeah, from, he's, uh, from us. I mean, Zelinski's looked uh, refreshed. He's looked very lively. You know, he's always a very elegant player, and we've talked about this at length. You could tell with him with the first few minutes whether or not he's in the mood. I think you talked about it a couple of weeks ago with your guest. So he's been amazing. A lot of us are happy that he stayed regardless. And if the first two games are any indication of what he's going to be this year, I mean, it's it's a really, really good start. But, yeah, listen, I mean, Angisa, even when he came in against Frosinone, I thought he really changed the game for us. He's a key player. Loboka, I think you mentioned in your previous pod, you know, he's he might struggle at first a little bit adapting to the more straightforward style that Garcia wants to play, but I think he'll play his role. And, uh, you know, Aussie's Aussie. Yeah, I don't know if I mentioned it on the pod or just you and I chatting. Yeah, uh, maybe I don't remember. Offline, but yeah, <laughs> like it, I have a feeling that Lobotka is going to shine a little bit less under Garcia yeah. because of that direct play. Like under Spalletti, that pivot is such a key player in the buildup, whereas with Garcia, we're going long, so we're kind of bypassing the pivot a little bit, and sometimes bypassing the entire midfield. And yeah. And then that highlights just the strength of Osiman, who we'll, we'll talk about in part two. Now, you mentioned the red card. Obviously, that helps a lot. Just a quick update on that. The sports judge issued the, the ruling today. They always do it the first day after the, the final match day of the round. And the report confirmed that Maxime Lopez made what they called an extremely offensive remark towards the match official, Antonio Julia. So, I mean, people can uh, can guess what what he said. I mean, there's a few options. I mean, usually the league is pretty hard on blasphemy, but I also read that there might have been a comment made towards a, a family member. He's so, French, though, right? He is, yeah. But I guess he's been playing in, in yeah, Italy. Yeah, but follow him. Or you got to just do it in French so you don't get caught. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that was another good non-signing, Maxime <laughs> Lopez, because we were heavily linked to him as well. So he's been suspended for two matches, and that – to your point, it really did feel like a training match after that. But even before the red card, Napoli were pretty well in control of the match. Gaetano, I don't know if you watched Sassuolo's match against Atalanta last round, but they are looking pretty dreadful this season. Yeah, they're kind of a weird team. They had that run to the mid-Europe, right? Was it maybe five, six, seven years ago? And they always seem to develop really good young players, you know, and they'd sell them off as Kamaka, Raspadori. Maybe Berardi this year. Yeah, um, Locatelli, Locatelli, right. So they obviously know what they're doing, but this year it seems like there's a disconnect on the way they play. You know, when you first see the schedule, you see Sassuolo, first game at home, you know, you have a little bit of 
worry, but they're not, doesn't seem like they're the same Sassuolo side. Yeah, and especially when you remove Domenico Berardi from that yeah. squad. I mean, yeah. I was looking up his stats for the three uh, takeaways piece that I do for the site, and I didn't realize that maybe I should have, but he's been a top two goal scorer for Sassuolo for each of their last six seasons, and he was the top yeah. top goal scorer in three of those seasons. So you remove him, and, and that's a pretty big, uh, pretty goal. important piece that you're removing. And after the match, Dionisi said those who were supposed to take the initiative did little to do so. And I definitely put Armand Loriente in that category. I mean, he was the biggest attacking threat in that Atalanta match, but he just looked completely devoid of motivation in this one. And that was my other key to the match. My main key to the match was that with Berardi out, because we already knew he wasn't going to play in this match from Dionisi's pre-match press conference. But with him out, if you stop Loriente, you're basically stopping Sassuolo's attack, right? Now, Perhaps Sassuolo were unlucky to have those two penalty kicks called against them. I think they were the right decisions, but there were those types of penalties where it's like, you know, as someone who played defense, you, you feel for, for the defense. I thought the leader. second one especially was a, a little bit unfair, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first one, my reaction to that was kind of like, well, I mean, if you're going to call the penalty kick against us in the Frozenone match, it's kind of similar, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it has to go both ways. But unlucky in the sense that, kind of both weird plays that they were just on the wrong side of. Well, um, while we're on penalties, can I just, I know this yeah. is a Napoli pod and I love you, Joe. Yeah. But can we for 30 seconds discuss how in the world uh, <laughs> Bologna doesn't get a penalty called for them against the, uh, against the Juventus the other day? Can, yeah. Can yeah. I mean, that's what everybody's saying. It seemed like a clear <laughs> penalty. I think the, to give Juventini sort of a voice in the debate, the, the common response is that, they probably should have been awarded a penalty kick as well for a handball on the on the slide tackle. And I even saw one one Juventino post a a side by side video because we got a penalty kick against Milan last season for a very similar play where the oh, defender yeah. I think it was Kalulu or I can't remember which Milan defender slid and the ball hit the back of his hand. But yeah, I mean, two wrongs don't make a right in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> and, that was so egregious. Yeah, yeah. And I can't remember which... Uh, I follow so many of these Napolitano journalists, but I can't remember which one it was. But one of them basically said, I wonder what the decision would have been had the squads been reversed, right? Reversed, like, what if yeah. it was Chiesa, let's say, running towards the goal and I don't know which Bologna defender kind of nudges him out of the way. Yeah. You have to think Juve would have gotten the penalty kick there. So Yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only consistent thing in this league is that there's no consistency <laughs> when it comes to officiating. The the talks are that was it DiBello that that called the match that DiBello, uh, yeah, that he could get a pretty long suspension for I for mean, missing both of those decisions. And having VAR not not checking that is for me even crazier. Like, okay, live, yeah. you know, you want to give yourself the benefit of that because you had the VAR, but not to even go check for me that's even worse. Yeah, exactly. And then there was also that story from the Premier League where um, with Chelsea, I can't remember the players involved, but you know, a Chelsea player grabbed another player's hair and and uh, I think it was Mike Dean, who's now retired, came out and said that he saw it on the VAR and because the official for that match was his mate, like and, of his, right? yeah. and yeah. he just didn't call him to the VAR and you hear stuff like that and you start to wonder, okay, how much of this stuff is happening in in any league, including Serie A, to me, the only way for this to be transparent is they have to make the audio 
yes. available for those. They do, they're doing it in the French league, right? In Ligue 1? Yeah, I, I think they were testing it. I don't know if they're actually doing it now okay. in the league. It, I'd be interested to to find out if anybody knows. Reach out to us and let us know. Because I think the VAR looked at it because they kind of paused the play there, but they didn't call him to the monitor, which is what you're saying. Like you, you right. have to I, let like, that head official take a look for himself. Because there's no way that was clearly not a foul. You might say maybe it is and maybe it isn't, but that's where you need the, the head official to make that decision. Correct. Yeah. So back to this match, given how poor Sassuolo were and given that we played a newly promoted Frosinone side in the first round, how much can you take away about this Napoli side in terms of the quality of the side? You know, Frosinone's last uh, match day looked pretty good. So, you know, there's something to be said about that. You know, newly promoted side, we played them at their place. We were down a goal early. We did, if nothing else, show resiliency, you know, and, and a lot of belief that I think was the big difference last year in our Scudetto season and as opposed to the previous years where, you know, we got down and, and then we really wouldn't be able to fight back and we lose like silly games. This mentality shift, I think, showed itself again against Frosinone on match day one. But, you know, like we already said, Sassuolo wasn't much of a much of a game. You know, it, it's hard to tell anyway, Joe, I think, with a new manager. For me, it takes about four to six weeks to really start to seeing what the team is going to look like and, and try to play like. I think for the first month and a half or so, the, the most important thing is finding a way to get results any way you can. And, you know, obviously Garcia has a little bit of a different way of wanting to play. The DNA of the team, however, is pretty much still the same because we kept the squad very much intact, except obviously for Kim, the biggest piece that left. So I, I can imagine being a little bit difficult for Rudy Garcia right now to, you know, keep some of that way that Spalletti and Napoli playing last year because it was very fluid and, and obviously it worked. But also, you know, as a, as a coach, he has his own ideas how he wants the, the team to play. So he's trying to, I'm imagining he's trying to marry those two things. And, and it'll take a little while for us to see what the real Napoli is. Obviously, we got a, a you know pretty decent test coming up here this weekend. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think the point about the mental strength is a great one because that was the confirmation we needed right away. First game of the season conceded an early goal and, and it totally did not phase the team came back for a comfortable victory in a way you know I mean as much as we all loved watching Spalletti's style of play because it was so aesthetically pleasing right it was beautiful to watch people in when we were playing in Champions League everybody was talking about Napoli yep. he's nominated for various coach of the year awards and things like that but in a way change can also be good right because we did start to get a little bit predictable at the end of last season. Now, granted, we had the season wrapped up for a while, so yeah. you have to take that with a grain of salt. But at least we're giving teams a different look, so it's going to make it more difficult for them to prepare for us, at least at the start of the season, and then you know we'll have to adapt as we go. You mentioned the real test is going to be Lazio, which is coming up on Saturday, especially yeah. because now they're going to be extra motivated after losing their first two matches against two teams they really should have picked up at least a couple of points from Lecce and Genoa. So so that'll be an interesting match to sort of gauge the quality of Napoli. You mentioned Kim earlier. So let's close part one talking a little bit about the defense. You know, I mentioned the XG earlier. We hardly conceded any chances. Sassuolo's XG was 0.2. I think the only real chance they had was from a corner kick. I think Ruan Tresoldi had a header that didn't miss the target by too much. Yeah. That being said, I thought... Both Rachmani, who's always solid, and even one Jesus. I mean, we give this guy a hard time, but I thought he was solid when he needed to be. I mean, our good friend Vincenzo was at the match, and and he commented on that as well. How one yeah. Jesus was a standout. 
That being said, and this is something we've been debating a lot amongst a bunch of Napoli fans, you worry about whether Jesus can is a sustainable solution, right? Like it's that's great. He can stand in now at the start of the season, but surely he can't be the starting center back for this team, right? Yeah, I mean, he's a pros pro. He stepped in for us when needed ever since we signed him. And he was, if you remember, I'm sure you remember, Joe, and, and all the Napoli fans remember when we first signed him, it was almost like a joke. Oh my God, look what we got. You know, one is who's is over the hill. He can't play. He'll be fine with playing against Frosinone and Sassuolo and, and Genoa and, you know, whoever else. But if we, you know, once the competition ramps up a little bit here, I think he's going to struggle, especially for pace. When we start playing pacey players and pacey forwards, I think he'll struggle positionally. Again, he's season vet, so he knows exactly what he's doing. He's probably really vocal back there, a strong leader on defense. But I do worry that once we start playing better opposition and more offensive-minded teams where he'll have more one-on-ones, I, I really worry a little bit about that, again, with, especially with his lack of pace. So I'm hoping that all that's happening right now is Natan is just getting up to speed, you know, new language, new culture, new team, new everything. And Garcia maybe just slowly building him up. I actually wouldn't mind seeing him against Lazio. It's my thought here. If you're going to, you know, he's been here for a few weeks now. Let's see what the kid has. You know, I know, you know, we got Chiro Immobile on the other side, who's been a top scorer in the league for a very long time. But I'm always of the belief of sometimes trial by fire. And I wouldn't mind seeing him in the starting lineup this weekend. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit more conservative. But I, I do generally agree. Like, for me, I would start Jesus because to your point, like what worries me the most is when Jesus is going to come up against a pacey striker, like, you know, even Retigui for Genoa, that's concerning, yes. right? <laughs> yeah. uh, whereas as good as Immobile is, one thing he no longer has is pace. So <laughs> I think for me, I'd, I'd probably stick with Jesus for that match and maybe bring in Nathan off the bench. Hopefully we have a lead. And you give them a, a little taste off the bench. And then we have the international break, a couple more weeks to prepare. And hopefully he starts for that Genoa match. That's what I'm hoping. And I agree. Like, I don't want to get ahead of myself because now that we've addressed some other positions, and we'll talk about that in a bit, I think everyone's kind of pointing at center back as our biggest point of weakness. And for some people, they want to see the club sign another center back. Personally, I just don't see that happening. I don't no, see us carrying five center backs. Although... I guess what I'm trying to say is I want to wait and see. I think we need to get Natan ready as quickly as possible, get him to play the first bunch of matches before December or whenever the the winter break starts. And then we can assess whether we need to go out and get another center back. If he's capable of being the next Kim or not, if he's not, then maybe we look in the January market for another center back. But until then, you know, we, before we start saying we need to get a center back, let's at least wait and see this. Yeah, right. Like when I spoke to the Brazilian football expert on on him, he said he's the second best defender in Brazil behind Mario. Now I get it. Wow. Brazilian said he has not Europe, but pretty close. So yeah. Again, highlight packages don't obviously don't tell the whole story, and I'd be lying to you if I was watching Brazilian uh, Brazilian soccer. But you know, he's he's a physical, fast, pretty aggressive, you know, center back which is in the same mold as Koulibaly and then and, and Kim, right? They, they were very position forward, right? They didn't really wait for the attacker to come to them. So again, I'm excited to see him. So I would not I would not be against him getting the start against Lazio. I'm, I'd be surprised if it happened. But yeah. if you're asking me what I would do, that's that's the button I would push. 
I'm not expecting you to be watching Brazilian Serie with all the uh, Saudi Pro League you've been watching lately. <laughs> don't, don't do it. Don't do it, Joe. <laughs> all right. That will do for part one. Uh, in part two, we'll talk about some standout individual performances. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Forza Napoli pod. It's entirely voluntary. There are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content both on the podcast and on our website at forzanapolipress.com. All right, so let's talk about some individual starters, uh, individual performances, starting with our capitano, Giovanni Di Lorenzo. After tallying two assists against Frosinone in week one, he goes and scores his first goal of the season in week two. Gaetano, Di Lorenzo has quickly become one of our most important players. He's a captain in, in the true sense of, of the word in every way. Obviously, in the dressing room, you could tell every, you know, players love him. After every goal, almost he's always like the one that they're looking for to hug. And he's always in front of the microphone after the game, before the game. He's not afraid to talk to the media and take on yeah, the hard questions, but that's the off the field stuff. On the field, I mean, listen, if you have a set of eyes, you could tell that this guy has become one of the top right backs in world football, in my opinion. I think it was uh, Henry Bell who posted the Serie A chart the other day about his heat map. <laughs> Basically, the entire right side was red. I mean, he's he was always, to me, very good defensively, very solid defensively, but the last couple of years, he's added this dimension to his game where He's much more lethal going forward uh, with this crossing and obviously with this finishing. Complete player, complete leader. Most likely sounds like he's going to be the Italian captain as well for the national team, which is, you know, uh, gives us more sense of pride as, as Napolitani and, and bringing that Napolitanismo to the Italian team, national team is always a good thing. So, listen, I don't have enough adjectives. The guy's been absolutely incredible. And him and Politano seem to be having a really nice connection here early in the season. Absolutely. You mentioned how, you know, everybody wants to give him a hug, whether he scores or they score. Yeah. There was one post that just killed me on Twitter. Oh, with the Titanic, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for those who didn't see this, I mean, the internet is undefeated as always. Uh, there was a picture where, I mean, if you go on the club's official website, they have like a, a photo gallery and they post pictures after every match. And one of them is Di Lorenzo after he scored and he has his arms straight out. and <laughs> I think it's Osiman that's standing yeah. behind him, like kind of hugging him from behind. And someone on Twitter compared it to Rose and Jack from Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that was just hilarious. But you're absolutely right. He's an incredible captain. He fully deserves to be named the captain. Like I was thinking about this for the Azzurri with uh, Spalletti there. You know, you look at the team and who else is there really? Maybe Donnarumma. I, like, I don't really see who else yeah. should be the captain of that team. So. Why not make it Di Lorenzo? One thing we always used to joke about was that Di Lorenzo was our best right winger. But to your point about the heat map, he really is our best right winger. Now. <laughs> I mean, on paper, he lines up as a right back. But with Garcia's system, 
he plays more as a winger than even our wingers do because, you know, I've talked about this previously on the show, but Garcia wants the wingers to cut into the middle of the park. We see them doing that quite a bit, and that creates the space for the fullbacks to get forward. We see Oliveira doing it on the left side as well. As you mentioned, he's combining really, really well with Politano on that right side. Most of our attack, I thought, in the first hour or so of the match, basically until Cavada came on, developed through the right side of the field. I'll come back to Cavada in a second, but I want to talk about Politano first. Gaetano, I thought Politano has been excellent so far in each of these first two matches. Yeah, uh, you know, those of you that know me on on, on Twitter and, and our group chats, I'm not have not been a huge fan of, of Politano. I always thought he was okay, you know, nothing nothing special. But, you know, you got to call a spade a spade and you got to be fair when, when players are performing. And I think, again, early days, but he's been great. You know, and something I always I always talk about when when we talk about our right wingers that we have not been able to replace Callejon since he left in my book, you know, properly. And the thing that's impressed me the most about Politano this year is his, his tracking back ability that Callejon I always thought was one of his best strengths. But uh, he's been more decisive. You know, we always complained about how he held onto the ball too long and he did the same thing. This year, I think he's more willing to stay on the you know on his right foot and get those crosses in, which has made him more unpredictable. You know, he took his chance in the Frosinone game, had a couple of decent chances the other day against uh, Sassuolo. So, yeah, I mean, he's been he's been a pleasant surprise for me. Yeah, our friend Ben from Australia said the exact same thing, that we haven't really had a replacement for Callejon since he left. In addition to that goal he scored against Frosinone, he won the penalty kick in this match as well, yes. right? So, yeah, great start for him. And to your point about using his right foot, I think that's something I credit to Spalletti, where I, I felt like we started to see that last season where – he was a little bit too predictable because he used to always cut in on his left. And Spalletti got him to just occasionally go back to your right. And that'll keep the defense honest. And he played a great cross to Osiman that he should have scored. And, oh, and my God. He would have had an assist. Missed that, yeah. but, you know, Osiman missed the header, which happens. Now, Politano started both matches because it seems like the club is trying to sell Chucky Lozano, which remarkably seems like they've actually done there was offers from saudi and mls and stuff and he was turning things down it looked like he was going to stay but according to nico skira psv have agreed to pay 15 million euros plus bonuses for the mexican which i think is really remarkable i also heard 15 percent of future resale of wow yeah i mean and this might be the the greatest of adls (laughs) the most adl thing of all time yeah yeah i mean (laughs) unbelievable maybe it's because you know he played for them before he came to us and he was really good for them that's why we bought him but for a player in the final year of his contract i mean that's great value yes that said i think i know the answer to this question but i'm gonna ask you anyways how do you rate his time at napoli altogether Listen, obviously you saw how much the Scudetto meant to him last year when we finally clinched it. He was one of the more emotional players. And as somebody who's talked about this openly, I love when, you know, I, I feel like the attachment to the jersey is no longer like a real thing in football. I mean, we always talked about this. He, whenever he was on the field, he gave, can't question that, he gave everything he always had. He had a couple of really bad injuries while he wore, you know, our jersey, even though they didn't happen with our jersey, especially the one with uh, his eye with the Mexican national team, the guy came back and played. He's a flawed player, obviously. Technical ability is not probably what it should be for somebody who was getting paid as much as he was. But again, for me, he always gave effort, was always there when called upon. You know, for the amount of money that Adiel paid for him, which is over the range that we usually pay for players, he was, you know, a disappointment when you look back at it. 
Well, all in all, you know, he, he did help us bring home Scudetto, which is a lot to be said for that. So, you know, mixed bag for me. Okay, I, I think that's a fair assessment. I, I was expecting a lot worse for some reason, but you know, <laughs> you know, I was looking at his stats as well. And in his four seasons with us, he scored thirty goals across all competitions, twenty-three in Serie A, two in the Champions League, two in the Europa League, and three in the Coppa Italia. He also had seventeen assists, so forty-seven goal contributions over four seasons is actually not it's that not bad. bad. It's not bad, right? It's just under twelve goal contributions per season, of course. Yeah. Most of that was all in one season. I yeah, think we yeah, got 2020, 2021. He had 14 goals and five assists that season. So, I mean, if if you put that season aside, then the other ones weren't great. But to yeah. your point, I, I think it's the price tag that made this feel like a really bad transfer for us. Fortunately, most of that, I think it was 45 million euro fee, has already been amortized. So we're actually going to record a pretty healthy profit on the sale sure. of Lozano at, at the numbers that have been reported, something like, Roughly 14 million euros in profit will hit the books this season. By the way, for anyone who's lamenting the fact that we didn't purchase Kevin Danzo, I think the Costas Manolas and Irving Lozano deals are kind of evidence that forking out 40 million euros or more in the Lozano case doesn't mean you're going to get a quality player necessarily, right? And sure. just go look at how Lens have started the season in League Gun, which I sort of shamefully admit that I've been just cheering as hard as I can against Lens <laughs> and against. Uh, against PSG because Luis Enrique also rejected us. And I messaged this to our group chat as well as a joke that PSG couldn't get a win until they played against Kevin Dance <laughs> with Luis Enrique as the coach. Now, that Lozano deal is not official yet, so who knows what will happen. After the whole Gabri Vega thing, I'm like totally rattled with transfer market. I don't believe anything until, <laughs> until I know it's actually official. A deal that is official, though, is the purchase of Jesper Lindstrom from Eintracht Frankfurt. What do you make of this signing? I, I don't know how much you know about him, probably just as little as I do, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but what do you make of the signing? And do you think he could, you know, we talked about how well Politano started this season. Do you think he could potentially displace Politano? Well, I think he's what we call, you know, uh, in Italian football, you know, jolly, right? He can kind of play multiple positions. So I feel like he's a very modern footballer right he can obviously play right wing left wing he could play Medzala probably give Zelensky a rest you know I, I doubt he could play the double pivot but I'm, I mean listen I've seen crazier things so it's, it looks like he could play two to three positions really really well and that's the kind of player that really you need this day and age especially if you're paying the wages that we are and, and spending you know 25 30 you, you know we can't go out and spend 70 80 million dollars on players so we have to find players that are very versatile, like, you know, like an Elmas, so to speak. I think it's a good signing. Uh, I think he'll push Politano for playing time. But it'll be one of those things that, you know, whoever's training better and whoever kind of has the hot hand will most likely get to start at right wing. You know, we've seen uh, Raspadori play on the left. When Cavara's, you know, was out the first couple of days now, he's going to have to find a spot for Raspadori again. Just kind of same dilemma that Spalletti found himself in last year with, with trying to find Raspadori some playing time. But it sounds like, Garcia is very fond of Raspadori, so I'm sure he'll figure it out. But yeah, listen, I'm I'm excited. You know, I'm excited to see him play. Again, just like the Brazilian league, I don't have a ton of time to to watch German football. But uh, from what I've read and 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 talked to some people that know the game, you know, the German game pretty well, and seen some highlights, he's somebody who could definitely help us. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was looking at his stats. Oh, by the way, for anyone who who doesn't know what a jolly is, it's basically like a joker, and like a yeah, card exactly. thing, like a joker, and when you play cards, right, yeah. uh, with Italian cards. So I think that's a, a great way to describe him. Very much like an Elmas, 
The interesting thing is when I was looking at where he played for Eintracht Frankfurt, mind you, they use a different system, but he predominantly played as an attacking midfielder. So when I see that, I almost feel like this was just another Gabri Vega type player where we didn't get Vega, so then we got another guy, which leads me to believe that maybe Politano is still going to be their preferred option on the right wing, at least until you know his if his form declines, then we can throw a guy like Lindstrom there or an Elmas or a Raspadori. I mean, one thing that's for certain, and, and this is not just something from this season. This is something we've been doing for the last few seasons. And I don't know if maybe this is a Michele thing or or a De Laurentiis thing because obviously Juntoli is gone, but we're really targeting guys that can play multiple different positions. And that gives you a lot of flexibility and, and the ability to change things up with different players in different roles. So yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm going to try to get a Nitrich Frankfurt fan on the podcast and maybe we can learn yeah, a little bit luck. more about, about Lindstrom <laughs> from his time there. I mentioned that we attacked mostly on the right side until Cavada came on. He made his 2023-24 debut and within a couple of minutes of coming on, he recorded his first assist of the season. How different is this attack with Cavada on the left wing compared to Raspadori? Oh man, I mean, completely different players. Uh, you and I have discussed my feelings on Raspadori on the wing, uh, you know, privately, I, I I love Raspadori as a player. I think he's one of our best, you know, young Italian players in, in, in circulation. And I think he'll do good things for us. I'm really happy, you know, that he's with us. I just don't see him as a winger. Although with Garcia, him coming in more, like you explained, he's not really a non-winger. So, but Kvara, listen, he brings that improvisational skills to the game that few players in our league and really in the world have uh, at his age anyway. The thing I would like to see more from Quara that kind of started to bog him down last year was when he received the ball, he kept it a lot, and that allowed those double and triple teams to kind of take place, and it kind of killed our attacks. I'm hoping that he starts playing a lot more one-twos quick, getting rid of the ball, you know, making quick switches, and that will free him up more too because, I mean, listen, everybody's going to key in on him anyway. So I'm hoping that that happens, but I want him to see him be more direct. I'm hoping with uh, Garcia's style that happens with him as well. But I mean, we have such a plethora of options. I can't. I mean, I can't even believe the options that we have, you know, at our disposal on uh, the front three, and even now in the midfield, like you said, with, with Lindstrom coming in. And, and you know, I'm, I'm still really high on Cayusta. So, like, listen, it's a good time to be a Napoli fan. I know we like to complain because that's just kind of in our nature. <laughs> but you know, I'm enjoying it. The turn he made before he assisted Di Lorenzo there. Oh, I mean, with the outside, I mean. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's only two players on the team that make that turn. It's Kavada and Zielinski, Zielinski right? Yeah. And so when Kavada's not playing, Zielinski is basically our only creative player. And I thought yeah. Kavada gave our attack a little bit more balance just because now you have threats on both sides where, sure. as I said, we were attacking mostly through the right wing. Then you put him out on the left. Even though he's cutting in, there were times where he was just staying out there on the line and stretching that defense a little bit. So I think he gives our attack more balance. Personally, I think he's going to score fewer goals this season, but maybe he'll rack up more assists because he's going to be drifting into the middle of the park. I'd like to see him shoot more as well. I don't know if you picked up on this, but it it felt like he was just trying to dribble one too many players. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, you cut in on your right. Sometimes take that shot. You don't need to always do that sort of cut back towards the byline. Um, But I'm sure, I mean, first game of the season, we immediately looked way more threatening when he came on yeah. so I'm definitely not complaining about and I think you also could kind of start believing your own hype a little bit at a young age you know yeah everybody's giving you high praise you're the MVP of the league in your head you're like yeah double team no big deal you know let me dribble through these guys but you know you're playing against some of the best defenders in the world so you gotta 
he's gonna have to adapt a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And I think Garcia is probably a good good enough coach to kind of coach that part of his yeah. game. I also thought it was interesting how much freedom he had to roam, which again we we've talked about this with Garcia. So yep. you know that's that's also something to keep an eye on. We touched on Raspadori there a little bit. You know, you and I spoke after the Frosinone match. We had slightly different views on how he played in that match. Did you feel that he was better in this one? I mean, I think there was things he did really well, and then there were still things that he did not do so well. Yeah, so I thought he was much more involved in this game rather than the uh, Frosinone game. You know me, I always go back and watch the game just for different things and try to look at different things. I thought he was kind of absent the first 30, 35 minutes of the Frosinone game, whereas in this game, obviously, within the first few seconds, he, you know, he had a really good chance. And to our point before, that was he was basically all the way on the right wing when he took that shot. Uh, he cut in so much uh, when he got the assist. So, yeah, I mean, I thought he was good. Again, he's not the type of player who's going to track back a lot on that wing. So puts a lot of pressure on Oliveira on that side or whoever's playing left back. But he created a lot of chances. I, I thought it was really nice for Aussie to give him the chance to score the penalty against his former team. Obviously, it didn't go his way. When he did the Zadza run-up, we kind of all took, you know, kind of knew he was going to miss uh, that penalty. But uh, he was good. He was good. Listen, he's, like I said before, I think he's a really, really good player. I'm just worried about finding the right position or the right spot, I should say, for him to really show his, his best you know, week in and week out. That's the biggest worry for me as well, because Garcia has said it, and you mentioned it earlier, that Raspadori needs to play. He's too good to not play. Yeah. But you look at this lineup, and to me, the only position that makes sense, although, I mean, Garcia's tested him also in the midfield, so that could be another option, maybe as an alternative to Zielinski. But, you know, Kabata has to be the starting left winger. Osiman has to be the starting striker. Sure. The only other forward position that's left is the right winger. So again, back to that point about Lindstrom being maybe an attacking midfielder, maybe Raspadori still plays on the right wing. But as you said, still doesn't seem like his best position. He, he seems right. best used as a 10. So, Well, his, his best position is, is true for me. His true position is a segunda punta, which we don't play with. Yeah, yeah. we don't so play with a that's, front that's, two. I mean, that, his game is suited for that. But again, I don't know. <laughs> yeah well again we'll see what garcia can come up with you mentioned he hit the post he had another shot stopped by concili in the second yeah. half there was one play where he actually did track back somewhere around the 25th minute and he made a nice tackle on by rami so that's good to see that that he's yeah. building that into his game but he also had a couple of poor touches he tried some back heel stuff that didn't come off um, <laughs> and then of course he missed the penalty kick that glanced over the bar I agree with you. It was, a, it was a great sort of show of leadership by Osiman, and we'll come back to Osiman in a second. But the one thing we just can't seem to get right, you know, for everything we do well, we just can't figure out this penalty kick thing. Yeah, we were not a very good uh, penalty taking side. Uh, God forbid we get into a Champions League quarterfinals or semifinals and it goes down to penalties. Um, our chances of winning that would be slim to none. It's just really weird. Like, I. The weird thing about it is, like, a lot of our players are technical, right? Like Kovara, Zielinski, Nades, Raspadori. You know, Loboka is a technical player. You would think he'd be able to, you know, nice and easy pass the ball into a corner on a penalty. They just don't seem to have that, um, you know, it does take a little bit of a, a special mentality to be a good penalty taker. There's a lot of pressure. Um, maybe that's the issue. But uh, it's one of those weird things that I can't really put my finger on. You mentioned the Zaza run-up. The funny thing is, like, he took a few penalty kicks in preseason and stuff, and that is the way he takes his penalty kicks all the time. Right. But I think he still psyched himself out because he waited a long time before he even started the run-up. 
And that right there, to your point, we saw that and we already knew this is it was done. done. (laughs) You hesitate, you know, if anyone's played, you know that as soon as you hesitate, if if you have any kind of doubt in your mind about where you're going to go, you're done. You need to know what you're doing before you start that run up. Yeah. Now, I know why Osiman allowed Raspadori to take the penalty kick. He wanted him to get his goal. I mean, he had the goal disallowed against Frosinone. He had the upright in this one. But for me, that's something you really only should be doing when you have a two or three goal lead, <laughs> not when you're up one nil. Um, and I firmly believe that if you get two penalty kicks in the same match and you convert the first one, you got to take the player should take the second yeah. penalty kick, right? Yeah, I don't understand why. So, I mean, that's fine. We ended up winning and didn't cost us, but you know, we've seen it in the past. I think Inter had a similar situation a couple seasons ago and they ended up dropping points. So, yeah, I would have rather seen Osiman take that penalty kick. Now, if Victor is the preferred penalty taker, if he and if he stays healthy, mm. I mean, he's easily going to finish the season with 30-plus goals because that's just not even fair at that point. Yeah. So let's close with Osiman's performance. He converted the first penalty kick pretty emphatically, smashed it into the top corner. He had quite a few opportunities in this match and you know on another night he probably would have scored two or three goals his individual xg for the match was 1.5 yes. which was the most of any player on the pitch even actually raspadori's was 1.4 apparently so mm-hmm. both of them had their share of chances but gaetano even when he doesn't score and we've talked about this before as well he's still so valuable for everything else he does for us yeah i think patrick kendrick is my favorite english uh, announcer here that we get in the states you use the term during the game, far reparto da solo, right? He's he's able to, with his hold-up play, with the speed, with with the way he moves off the ball, he, you know, we don't really need a lot next to him. He can create, and the way he moves off the ball, he can players can play balls into him easily, and he, he just he could do it all. He's a complete forward. When he came to us, I felt like he was a little bit raw with his technique. He's gotten a lot better with his feet, you know, in close quarters. This is our first line of defense. You know, he's, he's always pressuring. You know, he's always telling his teammates to pressure. He's become a leader in, in the dressing room. Listen, knock on wood, he stays healthy, and he converts a few penalties. No one's taking 30 goals away from him. There's just no way. First and foremost, he's a goal scorer. No one was more furious than he was at the end of the match after winning 2-0, but it's because he is so hungry for goals. Yes. That- he knew that he squandered a few opportunities in this yes. match. He wasn't happy. The anger was sort of self-directed, right? He, he was mad at himself for not scoring the goals. But yeah, he demonstrated just how good his hold-up play is. And to your point, his footwork. Like there was one play around the half-hour mark where Angisa played the ball forward to him around midfield, and he literally had five or six Asuolo players around him, and he just calmly dribbled towards the sidelines, turned back, passed it off to a teammate, and we retained possession, right? And and any chance of a Sassuolo attack was gone. And then again, I, I think it was in stoppage time of the second half where he even did like a bit of a, a dummy step over thing. And then because he's so big and so quick, he just burned the defender with just... Yeah, on the right side, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah he just yeah, pushed yeah. the ball past him and, and yeah. destroyed him. So yeah, even when he doesn't convert his chances, he's still just so good. And there really is no other player like him in the league. No. Okay, Gaetano, that's all we have time for today. Again, it absolutely flew by, but you know, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And again, it's been way too long since the last time. Yeah, Joe, I appreciate it so so much. These are always, you know, so fun to do with you. And uh, uh hopefully it won't take as long next time with uh with our schedules. And 
you know, maybe I'll get the kids to sleep a little bit earlier next time and uh, we, we, can, we can schedule some wordies. But again, I really appreciate it. You do, you know, obviously it goes without saying you do an amazing job promoting Napoli and Napoli fans and, and just Serie A in general, you know, all over the the world and North America. So, you know, you should be really, really proud of the work you're doing. So thank you so much for, for having me on. Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And, and that's that's really what keeps me going, honestly. I mean, it's been sort of for me, it's my outlet from sort of the yeah. real world, right? You mean you're not getting rich off this, Joe? What's, what's, oh, yeah. Filthy <laughs> rich. <laughs> All right. So you can find Gaetano on Twitter at Salazzo underscore 1310. And you can find the Tri State Napoli Club at Tri underscore Napoli Club. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, and you can find the podcast and all the usual social media channels at Farts and Napoli Pod. I will be back in a few days to preview our match on Saturday against Lazio, and as I said, I'm working on bringing on a guest to talk a little bit more about Jesper Lindstrom, so hopefully we can get that out soon as well. But until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre! Network. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.